Welcome to the Facts versus Feelings podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sonu Varghese. Each week, we dive into the important market-moving events and cut through the noise to help you, as an investor, identify what really matters. Let's get this show started. Welcome back to the third edition of Facts versus Feelings with Ryan and Sonu. Sonu, we were just chatting before we started. You said something. You didn't know we were going to ask you this. I thought it was interesting. You're allergic to wine? I would say I am too because I feel terrible, but you're really allergic to wine? I'm I, So I get a headache every time, especially red wine. When I drink red wine, I get a headache. And it took me a while until somebody, uh, I went to an allergist, all that whole bunch of things. Um, I'm allergic to basically the environment and everything around me, dust, mold, all of it, right? So I'm allergic to the sulfites in wine. I, I don't even know what those are, but apparently that's a thing in wine. And I'm allergic to that. And I'm okay with organic wine, but I don't care enough to go buy organic wine. So they have it. So if my wife opens a bottle of wine, she needs to finish it by herself, but she doesn't. So that's an issue at home. And so I end up making cocktails for her, sweet cocktails. Well, there, there you go. Yeah, I think I'm allergic to wine also. I didn't know I was. I always just feel terrible when I drink it. But anyway, so so let's get into it. You know, last week we, we did the podcast. We were in Vegas, right? You and I are in Vegas, and we, we had a lot of fun. You know, it was our Excel conference, right, with all of our partners coming to Las Vegas and other people in the industry. It was just a blast with well over a 1,000 people. And again, we're going to do it next year in Nashville. So if you're a financial advisor, you're in the industry, you want to go have some fun, learn about what's going on at Carson but just in the industry and the ecosystem in general, please check us out next year in Nashville. It should be a blast. But Sonu, you know, to kick things off, what was kind of your highlight of, of the week in Vegas that we just had? I think it was just meeting everyone, you know, especially over the last two years, everything's been on Zoom and uh, yep. online meetings, right? So it was just nice to get out there, hang out with people, talk to them, shake hands, all of that. We did that last year, but last year seemed a little subdued. Uh, this year was definitely more vibrant and, you know, I mean, Vegas, look, it's always vibrant, right? but this was uh, extra special in a way, just meeting a lot of people and then, you know, doing all those panels and sessions with you and the podcast with you as well. So that was a big highlight. Did you make some money? Well, I got paid for the week, I think, but no, I didn't make any money gambling. I don't, I don't like to gamble. Um, you know, I, I always lose historically, so to speak. Uh, kind of like when I drink red wine, I lose. It's kind of the same. You and the rest of the world, right? Like, yeah, yeah so no, I, I didn't. Um, but but my highlights were similar to yours. Had some really good food, but some even better conversations. Meeting with our partners is the very first time I've got to do something like that in person um, with 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 Carson Partners and really a lot of the Carson Home Office as well, the stakeholders. So that was that was just a lot of fun and honestly getting up on stage and presenting and doing a lot with you and other people on the team it was it was awesome so again definitely check it out next year excel in nashville we'll talk a little more about that as we get closer have you been to nashville ryan have you spent some time there yeah, I've been there several times. Uh, lots of different events are in Nashville. And I'll just say this. It's not Las Vegas, but Nashville is a lot of fun. Um, it's a great, great town to have some some uh, conferences and, and to get to know each other and have some fun. But, you know, what's not so great, Sonu, let's just kind of wheel this in. What's going on in the stock market and the bond market? We're going to talk about stocks and bonds. We're going to talk about the Fed. We're going to talk about the economy. And then maybe dive a little bit into what's going on in Europe, specifically our friends in the UK, with potentially the first domino to fall. We'll talk about that. But we're going to start with probably what most people want to hear about, 
Stocks and bonds. I'll set the stage, Sonu. I'd love to hear your opinion. Remember, we've talked the last two podcasts about how September historically can be quite bearish and volatile for stocks. Well, that's playing out again. Time we're recording this. Stocks are down about 7 8% or so for the month of September. Um, it's been rough. Just We just had one of the worst 10-day sell-offs in history on the S&P 500, down 11% over 10 days. Washed out in terms of how number of stocks are up, number 52-week highs. It was just almost a washout. I mean, Sonu, what, in your opinion, maybe you can weave these two things together, what, in your opinion, really caused this big drop that we've seen the second half of September? I mean, it's a Fed, right, and interest rates. Interest rates have... I mean, some of the moves they say are just incredible, like plus 10 basis points. I mean, basically, like, you know, uh, the 10 year was closer to 350 earlier this month. Today, you know, right now, it's closer to 4%, above 4%. These are massive moves uh, within the span of just a few days or weeks, even. And let alone, you know, the moves they're seeing across the pond, as we call it in the UK, that, that's on another level altogether. But we'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah, I think uh, it's been, the Fed's been the big story, right? Uh, and it's been about how fast they're raising rates more than uh, how much they have raised already. I mean, they've raised rates about uh, close to 300 basis points, uh, 3% this year. And it's, they've been really aggressive and, and we're not done yet. That's the thing, right? I think that was a big, dare I say, surprise from the last meeting they had in September. They said, you know, everyone is expecting them to raise rates another 0.75%. They did that. That was the third of the third consecutive uh, 75 basis point interest rate increase. There's a fifth of the year, 300 basis points altogether, as I said. But they said, we are probably going to take rates above 4.5% next year. So I think everyone is expecting something closer to 4, 4.2 or something like that. So I think that's really caught and caught a lot of people by surprise. And the bond markets are like, oh, you know, rates should be higher because the Fed's going to take it higher. What do you think? I mean, there's a lot. I mean, are we done with the sell-off already? That's that's the big question, right? Yeah, that's the big question. We think we're getting pretty darn close, right? s and is down ballpark 24% from the highs at the time we're recording this. You look back in history when you have non-recessionary bear markets, that's right around where you tend to see bottoms. Now, I'll just put it like this. Like we talked about, September is usually a, a pretty rough month. That's absolutely playing out. October is known actually historically as a bear market killer. Here's what I mean. We went back to World War II, found 17 different bear markets. 16 of them actually bottomed the month of October. More recently, you know, you had 98 in there, 2011. Um, you know, 2011 wasn't quite a bear market, but close enough for government work. We've seen Sonu some major, major lows month of October. We wouldn't be shocked at all if that played out. One final comment from me here, just market sentiment, right? Just how concerned people are, because it's not just stocks, right? Stocks are down in a bear market. Let's just put it that way. Bonds are having, like, they're literally their worst year in history, if you look. I, apparently, there's data back to the 1840s. I guess there was a year worse back then. I have no idea how people know that. But the bottom line is more recent times, last 50 years, we haven't seen any, anything like this for bonds. So a 60-40 portfolio, some stocks, some bonds. The truth is, is having a really, really rough year. But a lot of that is priced in. So much bad news is priced in. Just one final stat here. The AAII sentiment poll. Now, Sonu, I always forget what it's called. What does that stand for? I always get it wrong. AAII. What's it stand for again? American Association of That's it. Individual Investors. Yeah, I just rolls off the tongue. AAII. But it's not funny. But that's over 60% bears recently. Only four other times in history we've seen that. Most recently, 
March 2009. So again, it was some really strong performance. So there, this is getting very lopsided. A lot of people feel like the market can only go one way, and that's down. Because that's honestly, guys, when it's all done, we're all feeling it every day. This is facts versus feelings. We are feeling it. The facts, though, tell you that when you're down this much with people this lopsided into the bear market killer of October, we're pretty optimistic that we're near a um, potential low. So let's say we are near a low. So let's just play what if here. What would you do constructing an equity-based portfolio here? We can talk fixed income later. But from an equity point of view, how would you pour, uh, position a portfolio that's probably much closer to a low than people think and we could have some good gains going forward? I mean, so far we've been positioned rather I, – I, we've talked about having that barbell, right? We've had defensives along with things like energy. Right. Not quite value because, you know, financials are a big part of value traditionally. And so when the yield curve is inverting, which means, you know, long term rates are below short term yields, uh, financials don't tend to do really well during that time. You think about banks and how they make money and all of that. Right. Uh, But we've liked energy and has energy been the worst sector this past month? Uh, Probably. Right. But oil prices are now below. $80 a barrel. And, you know, I I think consumers are kind of seeing that relief a little bit at the pump too. But yeah, no, uh, we've had that barbell in place, defensives plus energy, things like that, and a little bit of industrials. Mm -hmm. And going forward, look, as long as the economy doesn't tip into a recession, and we'll talk more about the economy and all of that. Right now, we look, we don't believe the economy is in a recession, right? And so the outlook is we are kind of neutral on stocks. We are heavily overweight. U.S. stocks over international, I, I think that's been, yeah, I, I think a lot of questions uh, get to the fact like, why are we, why is anyone in international in the first place? Well, you know, uh, you never know when things can turn and we don't want to, you know, you always want to be positioned for different market regimes that could take place, right? Uh, if you think about these things on a scale of, you know, are we in a high growth or low growth environment? Are we in high inflation or low inflation, depending on you know, if we are in sort of moderate to high growth, as, and think of this as nominal GDP growth, right? With high inflation, I mean, we like stocks, we like commodities too, to a certain extent, and we are heavily underweight long bonds, right? Are we going to throw away long bonds out of our portfolio? Probably not, because there's a chance the Fed will over tighten. I think a lot of people think they're already doing that. And we could have a deflationary recession, right? In which case, uh, looking back at the last four, you know, four, even six major bear markets that came amid recessions, right? You talk about 73, 81, talk about even 1987, we didn't have a recession then. But 2000, 2008, treasuries did well during that time, because, you know, we had a deflationary recession and treasuries do well during that point, during that period. So you don't want to completely get rid of long bonds in a portfolio, but we are heavily underweight them. Cash is paying four, four and a half percent. So why wouldn't you use that, right? So that raises the hurdle rate for having stocks in a portfolio too, in terms of longer term expected returns. But then, you know, bonds and cash don't protect you from inflation, right? Your long term inflation protection are stocks and real estate and commodities, things like that. So we are still overweight those uh, asset classes really. Want to know more about the impact the 2024 election may have on the markets and the economy? We'll be covering everything advisors and their clients need to know in the lead-up to Election Day, including what to expect from the markets, news out of Washington, and what historically happens after elections. 
You can find all of our 2024 election content at carsongroup.com slash election. So I will jump in with this, this, maybe we'll wrap it up with this. My friend Carl Quintanilla on CNBC quoted me today on this stat. I tweeted it out the other day. The S&P is in the midst of a six-day losing streak at the time we're recording this. It also made a new 52-week low right on that sixth day. Went back in history. 20 times that's happened since 1950. Only 20 times. A year later, stocks are up 90% of the time, up well over 20% on average. So we get it, right? This, This time is different. Yes, the economy, the Fed, the war, all these terrible things that are happening. But still, we have seen times before where we've had rough go- goes like this. And if you have kind of a long enough horizon when you see these situations, there really can be some opportunity. So we'll just kind of leave that there. But so now I want to dive more into the Fed here a little bit. We kind of talked about it. The Fed had an interest rate decision, like you talked about, came in more hawkish than expected. My question to you, though, is why do we put the Fed on a pedestal? I'm not trying to knock the Fed. I'm not a Fed apologist. Here's what I mean. Neil Kashkari, widely known as one of the biggest doves out there. Now he's a hawk. Neil, no offense to Neil, believe me, I've made some wrong calls before, so it's not on him. But he said on September 18, 2020, about runaway inflation, quote unquote, it's a ghost story. All right. It's not coming is what he's hinting at. The Fed, if you look at their dot plots back in June of 2021, all right, they were saying this year in 2022, you'd have one quarter point hike. The Fed has not had the best track record. No offense. Why are we listening to him now? That's such a good point, right? And Look, if they can shift once, they can shift again, right? That's the reality of, and it's not like even markets are correct all the time, right? Like you go back to, Ryan, you pointed this out to me last year, they were, the Fed was projecting uh, what zero uh, or pretty much 0% Fed funds rate for this year, or maybe 25 basis, but anyway, some ridiculously low number, right? And markets also projecting inflation to be, tamed and you know to be coming down faster than it has that hasn't played out right and the feds changed their view and i i look at it as look they have been very flexible so you can talk think about that as a glass half full or a glass you know half empty or let's take the optimistic view right they can't tell markets right now hey we're going to slow down if inflation you know, comes down lower and things like that. They're not going to say that right now. They're in the business of getting on top of inflation. And Powell's said that, right? And they think taking rates to 3%, 325, that's the lower edge of the range they would consider as tight, which means there's more tightening to come. If if they said like, oh, we're going to slow down, what do you think is going to happen? Markets are going to raise up, right? Yields are going to fall, all of that. And that is going to you know, ease financial conditions, which in their view will ease pressure on the, you know, economy from, you know, things are not going to be as tight. And then inflation stays even more persistent than it already has, right? They don't want to see that. So like you always mentioned, they're talking a big game, right? And they kind of have to as well, but that's causing all this ruckus and volatility in the, especially in the bond market. Right. No, no doubt. Yeah, we, we, real fast. We talked last week with Gargi. I mean, there's a lot of different parts of Gargi from BlackRock who joined us in Vegas. Um, a lot of different parts. I mean, just energy is lower, right? Uh, lots of things are coming back. So we're not super worried we're going to have runaway inflation. It's really looking like inflation might come down. And what's the Fed trying to do? Maybe cause a mild recession, to be honest. They're, they're kind of hinting at that to bring inflation down. Don't forget, it took a double dip recession in the early 80s to kill inflation when Paul Volcker hiked rates like they did. Uh, you know, and I think there's a, a 
of this thinking that the Fed in the 70s, they hiked, inflation came down, then they, they came a little more dovish, right? That, that maybe you could say it was a policy mistake because it caused massive inflation in the early 80s by doing the start and stop. The Fed has read the history books, right? They know you got to be kind of playing a tough game, and that's what this market is adjusting to um, with, with the likely sticking around of higher rates a little bit longer than we expected. But again, I guess I'll just end it like this. The Fed has been saying things before. They've been wrong before, and they are open to changing their mind. Well, Sonu, yeah. real quickly, because we've got like 10 minutes left. Do you really think, though, the, Fed, the Fed's talking a big game. Do you really think they'll be able to pivot when the time comes? Uh, that worries me. I think so. I Look, right now they're hanging their hat on the fact that wages are wage growth, right? Like, you know, is, is growing, is, is too strong, right? Which historically, yep. yes, it's tied very closely to services inflation. But they're saying, you know, as long as wage growth really is increasing at the pace it has been increasing, we have to stay tight. We have to tighten things, and which means they have to create more unemployment right that's their big that's a big shift that's happened right they've said the unemployment rate up until june they were like okay you know we will raise interest rates because inflation's higher but we don't think there will be a real cost to the economy and real cost to the labor market unemployment rate may go up a little bit maybe to about four percent it's about three and a half three point seven percent now and economic growth would slow as well to about say one and a half two percent so quote unquote a soft landing right but at their latest meeting, they really shifted. They've more or less given right. up on the idea of that soft landing. They're expecting the unemployment rate to go up to 4.4%. Uh, they've slashed economic growth estimates from you know 1.5% to pretty much 0% for 2022. So that's a big shift, as I mentioned. But remember, this is not these are not forecasts, right? These are that's their best guess as to what happens with the economy quote unquote, under appropriate monetary policy. And look, they're the ones setting that, right? So in a sense, it's aspirational, assuming the path of rate hikes, you know, follows what they think it will do, you know, how they said it really. And it's a, these are median estimates across 19 different men members. There's a lot of consensus with what they wanted to do with rates for 2022, 2023. But once you get into the economic projections, there's a lot more dispersion. I mean, there's a couple of them who think the unemployment rate will be above 5% next year. There's one person who thinks the unemployment rate will be 3.5% this year, next year, and the year after, right? There's a wide range of views. So, which means I, I think a few, if a few people shift one way or the other, yeah, we'll get that pivot. Yeah, no, good points there, guys. This is something we're going to talk about probably every week going forward, but we, we need to move forward. You mentioned the word hard landing, soft landing. Did you see Bruce Willis actually apparently drove a satellite and crashed it into a, a, um, a comet or a, an asteroid, as we're looking for, the other day? Did you see that? You, you, you're, not, you're bringing up, like, pure Gen X memories, right, from the late 90s with, with that yeah. Bruce I'm sorry, it was NASA. Never mind. Bruce Willis is okay. I saw him on Twitter. He's okay. But, yeah, NASA <laughs> crashed a uh, – what's your favorite Bruce Bruce uh, Willis movie? Do you have one? Maybe Die I'll Hard. answer mine first. Die Hard? Oh, yeah, Die Hard. I always like Lucky Number Slevin. It's a, it's an underrated one. I don't think a lot of people talk about it. I think that's really cool. But, yeah, you got to go Die Hard. But, anyway, so congratulations, Bruce Willis and NASA, on crashing um, the, the satellite. Like, least, wanted to, at least if you think about movies that I would watch again, right, something comes on the tube yep. You know, it's not a tube anymore. I don't know why I keep saying yeah. tube. But, uh, if something comes out like, oh, Die Hard's on, and you just sit and watch the whole thing. Yeah. Yippee-ki-yay. And we stop there. But yes, exactly. Yeah. That's an awesome By the way, at 
point, they were getting quite, you know, remember they were stealing bonds, right? From the Nakatomi. Yes, that's right. That's true. They were stealing bonds, German bonds yielding, I forget what it was, but that's what Die Hard, that's what the terrorists yeah. are trying to steal, were your German bonds. So there you go. So kind of a play on where we're going to end. But let's talk about the U.S. economy. We've got a, only a couple minutes. I mean, what's your take, Sonia? Maybe in two or three minutes, some of the economic data we've seen, tell me why you still don't see a recession. Look, the, we've created three and a half million jobs uh, over the last uh, through August, eight months of the year. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look like, look, I, I don't think the economy is continuing, going to continue creating half a million jobs a month. It's going to slow down. But will it slow down to 50, 100,000 over the next month or two? I don't think so. Uh, you'd never know famous last words, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, even if it comes at 250, 300,000 jobs, it's still really strong. That's huge, right? And I think uh, there will be a lot of folks folks still coming into the labor force. I mean, you know, goodness, we were in Vegas and we traveled through airports. Everything's full. I was out for dinner last night and this is a Tuesday night. I know it's the city of Chicago, but the restaurants are packed, right? I mean, that's anecdotal, but even the broader economic data, we see retail sales, right? Adjust that for inflation. Yes, retail sales are going up. A big part of that is prices, but it's holding up, you know, even after adjusting for prices. What's actually surprising is how strong good spending is. I mean, by now I would have thought, you know, people have shifted over to services instead of goods. Then yes, uh, the other day we got uh, data for business investment, right? Core capital good spending. Again, adjust that for prices and it's going up. You know, look, if companies think we're in the middle of a recession or we're going to be in one in the immediate future, they're not gonna be spending money to invest, right? And I, I think that's very positive. The housing sector now is in a recession. I would say it is in a recession. I mean, things are, you know, mortgage rates yeah. are close to 7%. And that's, uh, you know, uh, prices are coming down. The I'm looking at my screen and the Case-Chiller price index. Now, this is an average price index, May, June, July. The July numbers just came out. Prices are up 15.8% year over year. That's still a high number, right? But that's down from 18% in June. So that difference between 18% and 15.8, about 2.2, 2.3%, that's the largest deceleration in the history of the index, right? Prices f- fell in 12 out of 20 cities they track. We're talking about places like San Diego, San Francisco, DC, Boston, Dallas, Phoenix, Denver, Portland, Seattle. Prices fell month over month in July. This is the first time since july 2012 that's happened so the housing market has suffered right so i think but the rest of the economy is sort of holding up and uh i think for now it looks like you know there's housing on one side everything else on the other side and that's keeping the economy sort of balanced in you know probably positive growth really i I don't think we are in a recession right now which is not to say we may may not be in a recession six months down the line right we watch these things yes as someone who's kind of in the process of moving selling a house buying a house i can tell you that it feels like you know housing is teetering right you had all this power i guess so choked up talking about this apparently you had all this power as a seller before now the buyers really are in control it feels like and then and, you know, it's just a difficult situation for housing when you have 7% mortgage rates. A $400,000 house costs you like $800 more now than it did about a year ago just because rates have gone up so much. So, again, if you're in a house, you think about selling, you're like, why am I going to move across the street and have a 7 to 6% mortgage when I got mine locked in at, you know, sub three? That's something that we're going to have to deal with going forward. Now, you did mention that one. I love to look at the um, 
Let's see here, the core capital goods number. Again, it came in at 1.3% month over month, expected to be flat. That's a good one for CapEx, right? What companies are doing investing. If companies see this major catastrophe come. I know what FedEx said. We also saw what FedEx did, but FedEx is cut in half, okay? That stock, not a recommendation, but the stock's cut in half. The last four or three times that's happened since they've been around public, that's led to recessions. So just something to be aware of. But again, we think it's more company specific because then you see what this CapEx is doing and it's still positive. So the last thing we want to talk about, we're at the, it's amazing how fast these uh, podcasts go. Yes. The UK, our friends in the UK have a new president, some new policies. All I know, I saw the 10-year yield go from 2% to 4%, like, I'm not going to say overnight, but it felt like overnight. They've got a borderline catastrophe going on with their currency crashing as well. What in the world's going on over there, and is it the first domino? I, I Look, when the Fed raises interest rates, usually the dollar goes up, and when the dollar yep. goes up, there's something that breaks somewhere across the world. I just didn't expect it to be in the UK, to be honest. Right. And a lot of this is self-inflicted, right? So, you know, what happened was we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, the Friday before, you know, uh, when we are recording this podcast, it's just an awful day for the UK government, right? It went in exactly the opposite direction of what they and probably everyone else expected. So the new conservative government of Liz Truss, that's the new prime minister after Boris Johnson, little over a week since she's been in office and uh, their treasury secretary equivalent, right? Uh, they call him the chancellor of the exchequer. Massive new 161 billion pound fiscal package. A lot of it, about 45 billion pounds was tax cuts and regulatory reform. And they're gonna introduce energy caps to give relief to households. This is the largest tax cut since 1972. There are no spending offsets, by the way, on the other side. Let me just jump in. Compare that to U.S. What's that like for U.S. if we were to do something? What size would that be so people understand? It's a big, close to about $1.1 trillion, $1.2 trillion fiscal package right. right now in the U.S. Imagine the U.S. government came out right now and said, oh, we're giving everyone, like, you know, $2,400 checks once again. I mean, what, what do you think the Fed will do, Right. Forget 4%, they'll probably take rates to 6 or 7%, right? Which is where the Bank of England kind of finds itself in. This fiscal package is trying to basically stoke demand, right? When the problem is on the supply side, especially on the energy side of things. I mean, so the deficit is going to surge. And as I mentioned, there aren't any spending cuts. And that was always going to put pressure on the pound. The pound has already been under pressure. Every currency in the world has been under pressure because the dollar has been strong. But you, you introduce this package and things just went south, right? Five-year UK yields, I think, rose about more than half a percent. Ten-year, and this was just on one day, by the way. These are massive moves for developed market bond deals. And uh, basically, the market's saying the Bank of England has to go hard in the opposite direction. The pound fell three and a half percent on that day. They released the package, the fourth biggest move in 30 years. Usually in developed markets, when yields rise, you say, oh, it's a developed market. It's a safe haven. So I want, you know, I'm getting a lot more yield for my, you know, for buying the sovereign government, mm -hmm. you know, bonds, right? And so you see the currency appreciate. We saw exactly the opposite. That's usually what happens yeah. in emerging markets, by the way. Yeah. I mean, don't forget during Brexit, yields dropped, right? When everything was getting. Was, right. Do you think, oh, oh, safe haven currency, right? So, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, everyone so, into very, that. very uh, something we're going to watch closely. I'll just kind of summarize like this: we, 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 uh, the Carson Investment Research Team, have been underweight developed international 
for a while now. We just see these problems. Time, yeah. and now there's another problem out there. We are overweight the U.S. relative to the rest of the world. We're aware U.S. stocks haven't done very well, but we still think they're going to do better than the rest of the world. This is just one more worry uh, added to everything that's going on in Europe with all of the higher prices they're paying for natural gas in different parts. It likely is pushing Europe into a, um, a recession in, in all likelihood, but we still don't see one in the U.S. So anyway, we have hit the end of the road. Um, we have to sign off for the latest uh, facts versus fiction um, with, with Sonu and Ryan, um, the Carson Investor facts Research team. We feeling, a lot of fun. By the way, oh, what I say? Facts versus fiction. <laughs> it, it yeah, all, you're right. Like that most of the time, but yes, facts. Yeah, versus I'll get fiction. it right. I'll get it right eventually. Facts versus feelings. You're right. Sorry about that. I got. I did so well during the podcast till the very end, but that's, that's all right. But guys, we're gonna be back next week. There's always plenty of stuff to talk about, so we appreciate it. We'll see you then. Take care. Information provided on Facts versus Feelings with Sonal Varghese and Ryan Dietrich are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. The statements and opinions of show guests may not be reflected of CWM LLC or its affiliates. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested in directly. Investing involves risk including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Facts versus Feelings are not affiliated with CWM LLC.